Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the truth of your word. And God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the things that you have to say to us today. Lord, let your Holy Spirit apply your truth to our hearts this morning. We praise you, dear God, and we love you. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In October of 2017, I was in a place called Malawi, Africa. On a mission trip with Pastor Charles, Pastor Charles Locklear. Many of you, some of you may know him, and another pastor friend of ours from Spring Lake, North Carolina. And during the week, our host pastor drove us from village to village, uh, visiting with the people and sharing the gospel. And the people were very kind, gracious, and welcoming. And we went into a particular village and met a pastor there who invited us into his hut to share some food. And I don't know what all that food was, but we did, we were skeptical and did more looking than eating. We did, we did eat some of the rice, which turned out to be a safe bet. You can't go too wrong uh, with rice. But uh, this pastor, unfortunately, did not look healthy. His eyes were jaundiced. He appeared to be very weak 
and uh, was obviously sick. And on our way to the next village, Pastor Charles asked our host, Pastor, what do people do out here when they get sick? And his response was to the point. He said, we bury them. They had zero access to any professional medical care. And he told us that many are born and die in their village without ever leaving to go anywhere for anything. And that's why our pastor friend in Africa does what he does. He goes from village to village preaching the gospel. He trains other pastors who who do the same. And uh, from donations from friends in the United States and other parts of the world, he builds churches and provides Bibles so that as many people as possible can hear and respond to the gospel. Because he understands, as well as we do, that dying is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. We all die. If we receive medical treatment and care and recover from an injury or an illness, that's a wonderful thing. That's a a beautiful thing. But uh, all of us have an appointment with death. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 tells us, It is appointed unto men once to die. Every person Jesus ever healed eventually died. And the worst thing that can happen to a person is to die without Jesus. And Jesus himself reminds us that his sole purpose for coming to the earth was not to heal the sick, nor did he come to implement social or political reform. He did not come to fix the economy, nor did he come to free the Jews from Roman oppression. For the Son of Man came, said Jesus, to seek and to save that which was lost. And here we have One of the many healing stories of Jesus in the New Testament. By this time, it was widely known that Jesus uh, could perform miracles of healing. And as he entered Capernaum, uh, a man approached him asking for help. And later on in verse 10, we see it says, Jesus marveled. In other words, he was amazed By this man's faith. I find only two times in the scriptures where Jesus was amazed. The other one is in Mark. Where it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Meaning the people of Nazareth, his hometown. And of all the people Jesus expected to have faith, it was them. But they were sorely Lacking. So let me ask you this question this morning. As Jesus looks into your life this very moment, Jesus is always looking at our lives. Where would you stand? Uh, Is Jesus amazed 
by your abundance of faith or is he amazed by your lack of faith? How would you answer that question? And here is a man who is a Gentile, a person that most people would expect to have no faith. Yet his faith is such that it causes even the Son of God to take pause and express his admiration and amazement. And I see three things here that made his faith so amazing. Number one, he was an amazing man, period. Secondly, he was a man uh, of humility. And thirdly, he was one who trusted an amazing God. I asked uh, Brother Hilton how long I could preach this morning. <laughs> and so uh, bear with me this morning. And to give you some background, a centurion was a soldier who served in the Roman army. There are some who question whether they were really Romans or not, or foreigners who had been enlisted to serve in the Roman occupation. It doesn't matter. For all practical purpose, they were Roman soldiers. And this particular man was a centurion. He was in charge of a hundred men, as his, his title indicates. And uh, we know that at this time, Jews were living under the rule of the Roman government. And since these centurions represented the face of the Roman Empire, they for, were for the most part hated and despised by the Jewish people. History reveals that these soldiers often took advantage of and mistreated the Jewish people. For instance, if a Roman soldier needed something done, a chore of some kind maybe, he could arbitrarily pull a Jewish man from the public and have him perform that task for him. The Jewish man might be uh, in the process of working, providing for his family, or tending to his own affairs. It didn't matter. He had to stop whatever he was doing and obey uh, the command of a person who had power. And it was such dirty nonsense as this and other injustices that the Jewish people had to put up with. But fortunately, all soldiers and centurions were not alike. This particular centurion was about as good as a person can get. There is no better way to describe him except to say he was an amazing man. And some people are like that. Just by nature, they are good, decent, honest, caring people. And he was one of them. And in Luke's account of this story, they tell Jesus that this centurion built us a synagogue. And he loves the nation of Israel. Who does that? 
a man with a good heart. And the beauty of this man's character becomes even more obvious when he is faced with a crisis in his life. He has a servant at home. And he says, this servant is paralyzed and is dreadfully tormented. Now, picture that, those words in your mind for a moment. Dreadfully tormented. He was suffering in a way that we hope and pray never happens to any of us. Without medical, modern uh, medical and pain management, I cannot begin to imagine uh, the kind of agony these people suffered when they were sick and injured. And the thing that made this centurion different is that most centurions, if in the same situation, could have cared less about that servant. In that world, a servant, uh, a, the, sl the average slave owner, regarded his servants as objects, as tools to be disposed, uh, you know, any way they wanted to. Most of them would attempt to sell off. To get rid of a sick servant. But not this man. And, and according to Roman law. A centurion. Could even kill. A sick or disabled servant. How inhumane. Is that. But there was something inside this centurion. That would not even think of such a cruel alternative. Instead. He felt the devastating pain of the suffering of another human being. And my friends, there's a word for that. It's called compassion. He loved his servant. And compassion is the ability to put yourself in another person's shoes and feel your own personal pain and burden for that person who is suffering. I believe this centurion would have gone to the very ends of the earth to find help for his servant. Moved by his compassion. And at this point, his only hope is Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where he goes. He goes to Jesus. Secondly, because he is a man of profound and amazing humility. I want you to think about this scenario for a moment. This Roman centurion is a part of the problem for the Jews. The Romans were sworn enemies of the Jews. They resented it with a passion that they were living under Roman rule. Uh, yet, this Roman has the audacity to go where? To go to a Jew and ask him for help. I believe it would take a lot of humility to do that. And this centurion wasn't foolish. He knew that no matter how generous 
He had been to the Jewish people as a Roman soldier. He was still identified with the enemy. He was still a part of that oppressive machine. The fact that he was in a uniform connected him with the oppression and suffering of the Jewish people. And there was no way around that. I want you to uh, suppose for a moment that there had been a Jewish uprising in Capernaum at that time. And we know there was a group of Jewish men called the Zealots. And their purpose in life was to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, Simon the Zealot was a member of this group. And if these Zealots had stirred up a revolt in Capernaum, this Roman centurion would have had no choice but to mobilize his forces and crush that rebellion and to do it with brutal, deadly force if necessary. And at that point, any friendships go out the window. (laughs) Any ties are, are done away with because he had no choice but to perform his duty. That was his job. Even if lives, Jewish lives, were lost in the process. So he understood very well that he was in no position to demand anything from Jesus. He was in no position to feel entitled uh, from anything from Jesus. Instead, the Bible says he came to Jesus pleading. He came to Jesus begging, and he did so in a spirit of humility. And as a military leader, he wasn't uh, accustomed to begging. He wasn't accustomed to, to asking. This man was accustomed to telling. He was accustomed to giving orders. He says, if I tell a soldier to go there, he goes. If I tell him to come, uh, he comes. He does what I tell him to do. But now he found himself in a place where he knew he was at the absolute mercy and kindness of a gracious God. Excuse me, I'm running a little dry this morning. And we know. That this is no less true of any of us. Any good thing that we receive from the hand of God is certainly not because we deserve it. It is certainly not because we are entitled to it. Due to the sinful, fallen creatures we are, the divine blessings that touch our lives every single day are a pure and simple gift. From a gracious God. The Lord. Not only treats us better than we deserve. The Lord treats us way, way better than we deserve. We need to fall on our knees in humility. Morning and night. And thank Jesus for the kindness he pours into our lives on a daily basis. This man was a person of status. He obviously had money. He built a synagogue. 
And I imagine he lived in a nice, comfortable home with servants. Uh, and he did not become a centurion by being a slouch. In the military, we called them dirt bags. <laughs> this man was at the top of his game. He was courageous and had proven himself in battle. He was a man of power and influence, but he didn't let any of that go to his head. You know, most people in his situation, most would, this would have been enough to fill most people with all kinds of selfish pride that nobody else would have been able to stand them. Yet, he is so humble, he didn't feel worthy to have Jesus even come to his house. And he also knew that <clears throat> the Jews believed if a Gentile entered a Jewish home, that home would become clean. And, and this soldier is sensitive to that. And even that sensitivity is evidence of his humility. Besides, he was fully confident in the healing power of Jesus that he knew Jesus didn't even need to go to his house. He could say the word right where he was, that he could heal this man from a distance. And verse 8, the centurion said to Jesus, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Amen. Now, when Jesus heard these words come out of this centurion's mouth, he was absolutely dumbfounded. It's if he could not believe what he was hearing. You would expect to hear this from a Jewish person who had grown up under the scriptures. You would expect to hear this from a person who had grown up under the Jewish faith. A person who had grown up uh, listening and, and reading the prophets, uh, the uh, Torah, and singing the Psalms of David. But you would not expect to hear this from a man who grew up under the influence of an empty pagan religion. Yet that was, that's what happened. And no one is more surprised than Jesus. He said in verse 10, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Even Jesus' disciples who followed him, learned from him, ministered with him, and even lived with him, did not display this kind of faith. And this man believed from the very depths of his soul that Jesus could heal his servant. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus healed this man's servant. Then, his faith was amazing because he trusted in an amazing God. Only God could take such a crisis, such a hardship, and use it to build such faith and hope in a person's heart. <clears throat> I have known people who were faced with a crisis, 
People whose world had turned upside down for one reason or another. And instead of trusting God, they chose to be bitter and angry with God. And this centurion could have chosen to be bitter. He could have given up any hope. He could have cursed God for his misfortune. Instead, he chose to listen to a higher voice deep down inside that told him to cast all his cares on the Lord. And that made all the difference. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for us. And you might be burdened with something in your life this morning that is weighing you down or even challenging your faith. I have discovered in life that for reasons we do not know, God doesn't always remove our burdens. He didn't for Paul. Paul said, I I prayed and prayed. He had a thorn in the flesh three times, but God did not remove it. But he did say, the Lord did say, my grace is sufficient for you. But I've also discovered that even though God may not remove our burdens, he helps us carry our burdens. And I can personally testify to that. And many of you can too. God is with us on the mountaintops and he walks with us through the deepest, darkest valleys in our life. Come unto me, said Jesus, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The thing that excites me about this story is that the centurion's faith not only led to a miracle of healing, it led to a greater miracle of salvation. God used this centurion's faith to seal his eternal destiny in heaven. Now, when Jesus said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, how can that be anything less than a saving faith? It it can't be. If this centurion was not saved, then the disciples were not saved. It means that no one else in Israel was saved because Jesus had never witnessed such faith among anybody in Israel. His faith transcended that of anyone else among the Jewish people. And in the Gospel of Matthew, unbelievers referred to Jesus as rabbi or teacher. 
they would not dare call him Lord or even think of him as Lord, unbelievers. But believers, on the other hand, called him Lord. And not once, but twice, this centurion in this passage calls Jesus Lord, which is an expression of submission. This centurion submitted himself to the complete authority and lordship of Jesus over his life. And I want you to listen to verse 11. Jesus said, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And, and what we have here in this verse is a picture of the great heavenly banquet or feast that we read about in Isaiah, uh, the gospel of Luke, and also the book of Revelation. Revelation 19.9 calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb. Luke 14.15 says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus' point here is that this centurion will one day take his seat at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and enjoy a great feast and rich fellowship with Jesus Christ forever. Not because he was a good man. Not because he built the Jews a synagogue. Not because he loved the nation of Israel. But because he humbled himself and believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. There was a notion among Jews that one of the joys of the heavenly kingdom was the anticipation that there would be no Gentiles there in God's kingdom. That only people of their own kind would be there. And what they failed to realize is that many of them would not be there. Many of them would not be seated at this glorious heavenly feast. Because look at verse 12. Verse 12 tells us that. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, who are these sons of the kingdom? Jesus is talking about those Jews who trusted in their Jewish heritage. Those who trusted in their biological connection to Abraham to be saved and enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if a person trusts in their Jewish heritage, their biological connection uh, to be saved and go to heaven, sadly, they are in for a rude awakening. And oftentimes, great faith is defined by the amount of faith a person has, or by the depth of one's faith, or the level of sincerity of one's faith. And, and many people, 
in our world today have all those things. They have sincere faith. They have deep faith. And they have a lot of faith. But the problem is, listen to me carefully. They put their faith in all the wrong things in this world. For instance... Many people put their faith in money and material possessions in search of happiness and contentment. One of the richest men who lived in the last century in the United States was a man by the name of Jean Paul Getty, the founder of the Getty Oil Company. He was married and divorced five times. And he once said, I would gladly give all my millions for just one happy, successful marriage. Don't get me wrong this morning. There is nothing morally wrong with wealth. Paul indicated it is when we fall in love with money that is the root of all evil. And money can buy a lot of good things, but it will never buy the most important thing. It will never buy a happy and fulfilling life. And Jesus warns us not to put our faith in money, but to lay up treasures in heaven for yourselves. And many others put their faith in people. Expecting people to fulfill them and make them whole. Only to discover that people will fail you and disappoint you at the drop of a hat. Over the years when couples have come to me to get married. They will often say, preacher, I have found the one who will make me whole. She will make me complete and fulfilled. And that's when I began to get concerned. God did not design marriage for a man and a woman to make each other whole or to make each other complete. God designed marriage for a husband and wife to complement each other. And to unselfishly serve one another. And I'm convinced that that's why so many marriages fail. Couples enter into the relationship with all the wrong expectations. The truth is that no one can make you whole other than Jesus Christ himself. Only Jesus can complete you. Only Jesus can fill that God-shaped void in your life. Other people put their faith in popular opinion, cultural practices, politics, and personal preferences to find truth and meaning in life. Rather than putting their faith in the truth and the authority of God's word. Only to end up 
with a frustrating emptiness inside. And then there are those who who put their faith in themselves. Those who feel they can pave their own road to heaven by being a good person, by being a decent person, by doing more good deeds than bad deeds. Someone said um, that trying to, to go to heaven by doing good works is like trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a paper boat. <laughs> I've crossed the Atlantic Ocean many times. It's a long ways. It's impossible. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one goes to the Father except through putting your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And though this centurion had a lot of faith, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about how much faith he had. It was where he put his faith that made his faith so amazing. He trusted Jesus not only for the healing of his servant, but for the healing of his very own soul. And it's not complicated, friends. Not at all. Amazing faith is simple faith. Amazing faith is simple childlike faith in an amazing God. In Matthew 18, Jesus called, called a little child to him. He set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means Enter the kingdom of heaven. The important question is where is your faith today? I hope your faith is in nothing or no one other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this. As I was preparing uh, this message, something came to me that I had never thought of before. It had never occurred to me before, and I don't ever remember anyone else mentioning it. But as I thought about that heavenly banquet, that heavenly feast that Jesus talks about here, it occurred to me that there is no food in hell. Which means that's the last place I want to be. <laughs> can, can I get a witness on that? <laughs> that is the last place I want to spend eternity. I don't want to live in a constant state of agonizing hunger. In addition to all the other horrifying realities of being separated 
from a loving God. To live in total darkness. Surrounded by constant weeping. And gnashing of teeth. And I don't think any of you want to spend eternity there either. If you want to go to a perfect place of unforeseen beauty and sit around the table with the man who died for you. (laughs) With the man who took your place on the cross and suffered torture and humiliation that no other person uh, should have to suffer where there is good food and plenty of it, then all I can tell you is don't leave here today without Jesus. Don't leave here today without uh, giving your heart to the man who loved you so much that he died for you. I'm glad Jesus died for my sins. I in no way deserved it. And when I think about that Christ has forgiven me of every sin, every sin, not just some of them, but every sin in my life, it blows my mind. That is 68 years of undeserved forgiveness. And faith, faith in Jesus is your invitation. Your invitation to a place like no other to sit at the table in this glorious heavenly feast. Friends, I'm going to be there. My reservation was made a long time ago when I received Jesus into my heart. And I hope you will be there as well. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave all he could give, who shed every drop of his blood and every ounce of his humility. To do something, Lord, that we could not do for ourselves. Lord, we could not pay that debt. We could not pay that that penalty uh, for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only a spiritual death, but an eternal separation from a God who loves us. And Lord... If there is one here today who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would speak to their hearts this moment. Help them realize their need of a Savior. Lord, soften their hearts today. Lord, and bring them to a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a song of invitation. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, Praise the Lord. I tell people that there is no better time than now to receive Jesus. 
because the truth is this could be the only time we don't know what's going to happen when we walk out those doors today or even before we uh, walk out uh, those doors we urge you to come surrender your heart to Jesus it's a decision you will never regret the most important decision you will ever make in your life God bless you